are building a religion. We are building it bigger. We are widening the corridors and adding more lanes. We are building a religion, a limited edition. We are now accepting callers for these pendant keychains. To resist it is useless. It is useless to resist it. His cigarette is burning. Welcome to the second episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm your host, Scott Barron, and we've got a great show for you today. Along with our regular news and banter, we've got an interview with Dave Thomas, author of the brand new Agile Web Development with Rails, so stay tuned for that. I wanted to talk a little about the podcast itself. I'm quite surprised and very happy at the response we got to the first episode. We've had well over 300 downloads, we're now listed in the iTunes directory, and as of this morning we have 157 subscribers on Odeo.com. Not bad. Now the info page on Odeo says we're number 15, but the top 40 list shows us as number 21. We're getting beat out by the Al Franken Show. So do get your friends and loved ones to subscribe. Surely we're more entertaining than Al Franken. On the last show, I asked you listeners to send in suggestions for naming the show. I actually got a few responses. You want to hear them? Good, I'll read them to you. I'm not going to bother with last names, because I'll just screw them up. So I'll post a list of names and suggestions to the website to give people proper credit. Okay, so first up, we've got Matt with Rails Radio. Bob sends in Rails on Pod. Kevin suggests Happy Rails. And the very creative Chris sends in a whole list of names. We've got Radio on Rails, Rails on Waves, Rails on Air, the acronym RAVE, which stands for Rails Audio Vessel Expulsion, and a few train-related names like All Aboard, Rail Fan, Golden Spike, Riding the Rails, and Wrapped a Stack. I'm kind of partial to Rails Radio myself, and Matt says he's got railsradio.com and org and would be willing to transfer them to us if that's the name we choose. Uh, what do you guys think? Sounds good to me. We'll see where it goes. I'd also like to take a moment to thank a few folks who took the time to send me suggestions and vast information about audio recording. Kyle and Jay, that's the letter J, sent in pages of very helpful information, and core team member Thomas schooled me up on proper levels. So thanks a lot, guys. I think the quality of this podcast is considerably better than the last. Sure can't be any worse. So, what's going on in the Rails community? Well, first up, I just want to announce that tonight in Columbus, Ohio, Jim Myrick is going to give his dependency injection presentation to the Columbus RB group. This is the same presentation Jim is going to give at OSCON, so if you're going to be in the area, stop in and check it out. You can find directions on Columbus RB's website, which is columbusrb.com. Another major news item that you should have on your calendar is this Sunday, July 24th, marks the one-year anniversary of Rails' first public release. So, you should buy some cake, some ice cream, and have a little birthday party. Alright, on to some more news. Um, There's not a whole lot of news per se, but I did want to go over some of the more interesting threads that have happened on the Rails mailing list this week. I'll start out with Dwayne Johnson's Productize Your Application thread. Now, this is a pretty interesting approach. What Dwayne's done is you create a your main Rails application, and then you have kind of like sub-applications defined below that that derive functionality from the top-level application. Uh, it's a really simple change that involves about five steps. You just drop in a new productize.rb file, modify your environment a little bit, and uh, basically Dwayne says... Using the following code, you can create a single generic application which uses a separate database for each client. 
In addition, you'll have a hierarchical application structure wherein add-ons and tweaks for specific customers are possible without affecting the core generic site code base. Neither will you have to copy that code base for each application. In this way, you can maintain a core application code base that every client uses while still providing flexibility for paid add-ons or site-specific needs. So this is pretty cool stuff, and I think I'm going to use this in one of my current projects. So way to go, Dwayne. Uh, keep this up, and if you want to go follow the thread, you can go check that out on gmain.org. The next news item also belongs to Dwayne Johnson. He's got a new site called RailDoc. It's RailDoc.MyTechSupport.com, and what it is is the Rails and Ruby documentation with added search and commenting and um, some little magical Ajax stuff. It's really neat. You should go check it out. That's RailDoc.MyTechSupport.com. So great job on that, Dwayne. I think we're all watching to see where that's going to go. So if you're looking for Rails work, there have just been a couple job notices posted at uh, weblog.rubyonrails.com. So check those out if you're interested in getting paid for doing Rails. It's a very good thing indeed. Highly recommended. Also of note this week is the Axe as Version thread started by Rick Olson. The gist of this is that you can add this act to your active record model, and every time you make a change and save, it'll copy the row's current state so that you have a full change history of every change made to a row. I've needed this functionality in more than one project, and I'd always use some clunky junk in before save method on the model. But Rick has gone and written this up with proper Rails style and made it super easy to add this functionality to your model. So keep an eye on this thread. Uh, perhaps it'll make it into active record soon. I love seeing little drop-in nuggets like this appear. Good show, Rick. Keep it up. I think that about wraps it up for the news. It's getting kind of late in the day, and I need to get some actual work done. So, up next is our interview with Dave Thomas. All right, uh, we've got Dave Thomas of Pragmatic Programmers here. Um, so, Dave, why don't you just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and the Pragmatic Programmers? Sure. Um, I'm English. I did the uh, unforgivable thing. I uh, had a consulting gig in New York City, and uh, I came across and worked with actually it's American Express over there. And I ended up marrying my client. Uh, my wife Juliet uh, is American, and she moved with me back to uh, England. She used to live in Greenwich Village, uh, where it was never dark and never quiet. And she moved across to a town called Godalming in England which was basically always dark and pretty much always quiet. Um, so we lived there for about five years and moved back to uh, Texas to be with her folks, which is where I am now. Uh, if I go to England, they tell me I have an American accent. Oh, really? If I, to, if I come to America, they tell me I have an Australian accent, so go figure out. <laughs> yeah, I had uh, no idea that you were English, and I just saw your interview on the server side, and I was just like, whoa. I, because I had no idea. I just thought you were, I knew you were in Texas, so I thought you were from Texas. So that uh, definitely threw me for a loop there. I'm just far east of Texas is what I told you. <laughs> Where at in Texas? Uh, I live in Dallas, just north of the airport. Okay, right. Um, which means that uh, I'm just like everybody else here. There's actually nobody from Texas that lives within about 100 miles <laughs> where I am. Yeah. But, um, um, sorry. Yeah, I lived in Killeen for about three years. It was... Uh, and that's just, that's all Fort Hood, so nobody from Texas isn't clean either. Right. I think it's the same here. It's everybody moves through every two years. It's, mm -hmm. it's, I think I'm probably the longest standing resident of my town. So. <laughs> but um, anyway, so we moved back to Texas, and um, I had a, a software company in England, and I sold that out to my partner. I came over here, 
and became independent. And in the uh, first month or two, uh, I started getting uh, consulting gigs from clients that I dealt with while I was in England, but were you know based over here. And one of those was um, a guy who actually used to be sales support for me in England, and uh, he is now living in Atlanta. And he had a um, a very interesting project to write a uh, a switch software for debit card transactions. And he had a very, very firm timeline. The existing software he had came off maintenance in, I think it was four months, and he needed the whole thing replaced in that time. And I said I couldn't possibly do it just on my own in that time. So he said, well, that's okay. I've got a, I've got a friend who's, who's really good. He used to go to Georgia Tech with him and uh, introduced me to Andy Hunt. And the two of us basically worked in a room the size of a broom cupboard. Uh, no windows, no air conditioning, no nothing. And in about four or five months, turned out about a quarter of a million lines of C code, which was this debit card switch. Wow. And it was very cool. We sat there, and we plugged it in, and we watched the first transaction go through. And we actually built a little kind of back door into it that would keep a total of the amount of uh, money that had switched through it. And we just watched this number just grow and grow and grow, and you know it got to be a million, and everybody went out and got drunk kind of thing. <laughs> but it was, it was a, a really cool project. And we, we hit it off. We worked together very well. And I think being in that very small environment, uh, very intense environment, kind of gave us the ability to talk to each other in shorthand, you know, a bit like old married couples do. <laughs> and so it became very efficient for us to write software together. So we had this kind of ad hoc relationship where we just tended to work with each other on projects since then. And about four years later, I guess, uh, and we were going around seeing lots of clients, and we discovered that we were saying the same kind of thing to clients over and over again, uh, to do with practices and how they could possibly improve their processes and everything else. So we decided to try jotting some notes down so that we could just hand this to a client and say, this is the way we think about software development. And as is usual, these things, uh, what starts off as a small project just grows and grows and grows, which I think is probably just symptomatic of people in software. Mm -hmm. And it quickly turned into what was looking like a book. So we'd never written a book before. We had no experience with how books worked. And we weren't particularly confident in our abilities. So we said the best thing to do was probably to go and get some independent advice. And it seemed to us that the easiest way to get independent advice was to submit the book to a publisher who we knew would never accept it because you know, we didn't think it was good enough. Mm-hmm. And the publisher, in rejecting it, would then give us all the information that we needed in order to make it better so we could send it to somebody else. So we submitted it to Addison Wesley, and to our shock, they said, yeah, we'll take this. And uh, that book became The Pragmatic Programmer. So that went out in '99. And at that point, we basically decided to call our consultancy Pragmatic Programmers. And we moved on from there. So basically, we've been working together now for almost 10 years, uh, doing a mixture of consultancy, training, uh, speaking, and writing a boatload of books. Great. Yeah, you write some uh, great books, uh, like uh, Pickaxe Book, pretty famous with the Ruby community, and your free version of... uh the first edition was how I learned Ruby. So how did you get started with Ruby? That's actually you know, kind of interesting. I have this habit of downloading languages. I love languages. And so I'm constantly downloading languages and trying them and then throwing them away. Most last about three minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, know, you download them and you say, ah, oh, this is either very derivative or very boring. Ruby 
got me going. I, I really enjoyed it. I was sitting there and I was hacking around with it for maybe an hour or two. I phoned up Andy and said, hey, go download this. This is pretty cool. And the both of us thought it was a very nice little language. At the time, we'd just published Pragmatic Programmer. I think it was actually probably in the press stage at that point. We hadn't actually got it out in the streets. And we'd already started thinking about the next book. And the book we wanted to publish was something about capturing requirements in code. The idea being that if you could capture requirements at a high enough level, then you'd basically write the program by capturing the requirements. And we were looking around for a language in which to do that. And Ruby became the, the language we wanted to use. So we started fleshing out this book, and we realized that we were constantly explaining Ruby. We'd have to say, well, this is what a block is, etc., etc., etc. And that got a bit tedious, and it also took away from the, the point of the book. So we decided that before we wrote the book we wanted to write, we'd probably have to write a book explaining Ruby. And this started out yet again as a short, short book, maybe 100 pages long, on Ruby. It ended up being, I don't know, 550, 600 pages long, uh, just because I can't control myself when I get to writing that kind of thing. So we published a pickaxe uh, about a year after Pragmatic Programmer. And about three months after that, we decided, well, what we really wanted to see is we wanted to see the Ruby community grow. And the economics of book publishing, particularly with a, a, a large-name publisher, is that they really couldn't bring the price of the book back down. It was something like $45 at the time. Mm-hmm. And that's quite expensive for a large portion of the Ruby community who are students and uh, you know, people just coming into it. Mm-hmm. So we uh, negotiated with Addison Wesley for them to uh, allow us to release the book uh, for free online. And fortunately, we we, uh, we had the book in our own internal format, and it wasn't too difficult to convert most of it to HTML. So we did that, released the HTML, and, um, well, two, there, there are two histories to the rest of it. First of all, it's very interesting to watch the, uh, the the size of the Ruby community. At the point we released that book, you can actually plot a fairly uh, significant jump in the size of the community, at least measured by posts on the RubyTalk mailing list. Mm-hmm. Um, you can actually also measure a corresponding drop in sales of the original book <laughs> as, uh, as people move from the paper form to the HTML form. Mm-hmm. But in retrospect, I think it was a, a really great thing to do. I think it definitely helped jumpstart the community, and I'm very pleased with that. Yeah, definitely. So, um, speaking of books, now your latest project is, of course, the Rails book, which is what we're all, all interested in. And you've released that in a beta format where people can access it before it's actually printed. So why don't you tell us how that's been turning out? It has been phenomenal. Um, and I have to give credit to, to David for this because I was very nervous about putting it out. I mean, we've been talking about doing this for a while. And my concern is that people would see something in its unfinished state and judge it as, you know, oh, this is really ugly or the typesetting sucks or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, the word would get out that it wasn't a very good book. So I was very nervous about this. And he kept saying, no, 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 just do it, just do it. So, uh, in the end, he persuaded me. It turned out that it was fairly straightforward to do, given the infrastructure that we have in place already. So, uh, we released it about six weeks, eight weeks before it was ready to go to press. And uh, the response has been absolutely phenomenal. It's been a success uh, for us, both commercially, in that we've um, we sold quite a few copies of the book in beta form. And people will be getting... People who've got the PDFs have already got the up-to-date final PDF... People who have the um, book on order 
we'll be shipping the books uh, August, looks like August 9th now will be the date they actually go out. Um, it's also been a tremendous success, at least from my point of view, in terms of the book writing process. I put forward a first uh, beta, uh, and since that time, we've had probably about 800 suggestions, errata, typos, hey, I didn't understand this, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. put through our errata system. The vast majority of those made it into the final printed book. And as a result, the, the book is a lot, lot better than it would have been you know, without that whole process. So I think this process has basically shown that for a certain category of book, this, this idea of going out to beta is a, uh, a win-win for, for both the publisher and also the people that, that use it. I've read most of it. Um, it is a great book, and I can't wait for the printed copy to come out. Um, so why don't you tell us about uh, the process of writing a book about Rails while Rails has been changing so much because it's so new. I know that's got to be quite a struggle. It was fun. Um, I started writing the book in, I guess, October last year. Um, and I made maybe 50, 60 pages worth of progress. And at that point, things were just too volatile. And so I hung back a bit and then started to go up again maybe January time, at which time things had settled down at least a little bit. The mistake I made is I wanted to do the tutorial section first, the idea of writing the shopping cart and leading people through the process of creating a Rails application. The The reason for that is that that's really what excited me about the, the whole framework, the idea of having a different way of working with clients when you're producing a web application. And I wanted to try and get the excitement and the general feel of that across. So I focused on this tutorial. Of course, what that means is that every time uh, some feature changes in the framework, I have to go through and update the tutorial. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is the tutorial is uh, one of these things where it builds on itself. So there's, uh, you start off with like product maintenance, and you add a catalog display, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That meant that I had to keep, uh, in the end, I actually had to keep 24 versions of the application up to date. Wow. So, so the first version was basically, you know, a, 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 a brand new Rails application with scaffolding for the products, and then the final version has all the unit tests and everything else in it. And in between the two, we actually have these 23 generations of the program. And I want, I was very keen to do that because I wanted to make sure that the code I published in the book actually came from running applications, mm-hmm. and so I couldn't just you know cut and paste it in and then modify it. So whenever someone changed anything, I had to go through and manually apply that patch uh, up to 24 times, which was, which was amusing. Uh, it, it turned out to be uh, a lot more work than I thought it would be, and I, I automated a fair amount of it, but even so, there were always merge conflicts and everything else that took place. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was fun. The other thing that was a bit uh, problematic is there were some fairly major changes that came um, well past the deadline that you would normally put a book to bed. For example, the changes to render, where we, mm-hmm. we lost, um, yeah, we lost like render uh, partial and it became render colon partial. Uh, that happened uh, probably about two weeks after the book was finished. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turned out to be, uh, because we have a very good relationship with our printer and because we have an incredibly tolerant copy editor, uh, we could actually put those things in even after we'd finished the book. Uh, so that was, uh, it was interesting. The, uh, it's a trade-off. We wanted to try to get the book ready for OzCon, which is beginning of August. And that meant that we really had to be 
on the presses by about July the 8th or so. And we were actually making technical changes to the book all the way up to that date. In fact, I, I actually made changes, and I think I made 46 changes to the book after I sent it to the printers. Mm-hmm. And I took the opportunity of them sending me back page proofs to say, oh, yep, page looks, proofs look great, but by the way, here's 46 uh, extra pages, uh, which they were swearing at me up and down. <laughs> um, and that, I think, has been, uh, again, we've managed to produce a very, a very topical book, and I think a book that's um, as up-to-date as a paper book can be. Uh, which I'm quite proud of. It has also me- meant that we've um, uh, there are mistakes in it because there are um, you know we, we were changing things right right up to the last moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I'm trying to do now is I'm using the um, the errata process to to make sure that those are tracked, they're easy to find, and we'll obviously be fixing those in the PDF and then finally in the printed version. So things are things are changing rapidly, and I think we're totally on top of it. Uh, you have any? interesting upcoming Rails work that you can talk about? Ha! Yeah, um, actually, this is kind of like um, the other thing about the cobbler's children have no shoes. The uh, the site that Andy and I run for Pragmatic Program, the Pragmatic Bookshelf site, mm-hmm. kind of grew incrementally and uh, within some very serious constraints that we didn't really realize we were taking on when we first started it. Uh, the biggest one of which was we didn't want to ride our own shopping cart back when we started. So we went to um, Vario, who you know, seemed to be a pretty competent large ISP, and said, hey, what, what should we do? And they said, oh, use this shopping cart software and everything else. It turned out that was a mon- monumental mistake because it was very, very inflexible, and it didn't really give us the kind of uh, interaction that we needed uh, to, to market our products. So around that shopping cart, we built this incredible Baroque structure of scripts and everything else to, to do the stuff that we actually need to do. So now that the book is finished, I'm actually busy replacing all of that with a Rails application. And so, for example, if you uh, uh, go to the Rails page, um, that's pragprog.com slash title slash Rails slash something, uh, you're actually talking to a Ruby application. Mm-hmm. And uh, you will be entering a router or viewing a router on that. You'll be reordering your PDF using a Rails application. And increasingly, I'm increasingly just adding more and more functionality to that site. So over time, that's going to be um, fleshed out as a full online store slash um, content management system slash whatever else you might want to call it. And that's pretty fun. The reason we're doing that is that we're looking at introducing a whole lot of new products over the next year or two, uh, products which are uh, related to publishing, which aren't necessarily related to paper books. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the the next one that we're going to see is we're very much hoping to start a line of micro books, maybe 50 to 100 page, PDF only, highly focused books. Um, a good example might be how to internationalize a Rails, Rails application mm-hmm. or how to deploy a Rails application in, in a lot more detail than you can go into just a general book. And so that line uh, will need to be supporting using our, um, our our online store and all the other infrastructure there. Mm-hmm. Right. That sounds like a great project. About last month, you posted on your blog that you're going to team up with Mike Clark and possibly do some Rails training sessions. Um, how's that shaping up? That's shaping up wonderfully. Uh, Mike has a, a venture going at the Pragmatic Studio. He he came to us about oh, maybe six months ago and said, basically, could he team up with us to offer uh, training 
using you know our name and our philosophy and and us and we said of course you know that'd be great we love mike he's a he's a really great writer and he's a really good great trainer so um one of the ones he wants to offer is rails based training so i blogged that i put up a wiki site to let people uh let us know you know whether there was any interest and if so where that interest would be and it's been phenomenal we've had hundreds of people you know saying yes they'd be interested we've had uh, a list of i don't know maybe 50 cities that people have nominated mm-hmm. uh some of the the uh, obvious big ones places like london and washington chicago boston minneapolis all these cities have you know tens 20 people interested in a, in a um a training course right now so i think that's something we will definitely see happening over the next 6 months uh we're also uh david is interested in david hi my hansen is interested in coming across and participating in those uh, in some way uh, obviously it's going to be tricky just given the geographic distance but mm-hmm. uh, if we can find a way of doing that then that will be uh, absolutely wonderful that would be great if you come to ohio definitely let me know <laughs> and you know that actually may well be um a possibility because there's an awful lot of interest coming out of areas like columbus and yeah. uh, that that may well happen Yeah, I know they've got a Ruby users group up there. Actually, I think uh Jim Wyrick is giving a talk there tonight. He's doing his dependency injection presentation for them. Right. And we've yeah, got a, a great guy. And we've got Jim here in Cincinnati and some other Rails people. So, yeah, I think Ohio would be great. That could be your first stop. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, if you organize 50 people in a room, then we'll be there. <laughs> okay. But uh, yeah, I mean all seriousness, if if that's something that people want to see, um you know, I'd love to hear about it. Uh and similarly, if people have ideas or um suggestions or even volunteers to do one of these microbooks, you know, I'd love to hear about that too because this is something that we would very much like to uh get going, get rolling. All right, that would be a great thing to see. I think uh that's about it. I don't want to keep you too long. You're probably pretty busy. Uh so Thanks for talking with us. Uh I know a lot of people appreciate it. Well, it's totally my pleasure and uh if anybody's uh, going to be in Oscom, then I'd look forward to seeing you all there. Otherwise, uh just chat with you online. You guys take care. All right. You too. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the second episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast. Uh tune in next week where we'll have some more good stuff for you, some more Rails news and maybe an interview with somebody. Uh we don't have anybody lined up yet, but we'll see what we can get. Uh this has been Scott Barron saying happy railing.